Welcome to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win at real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel. Before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to include a little warning that there will be a fair amount of F-bombs and swear words in this podcast. Not that I think you can't handle it, but I just don't think that this would be the type of show that you want to play out loud around kids. With that said, let's get started. I definitely have a problem saying no. And I have a problem declining invitations, and I have a problem with putting down books I'm not enjoying or watching TV shows I think I have to watch. Essentially, I have a problem with just not giving a fuck. And when a book landed on my desk with that right in its title, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, I was hooked. Author Sarah Knight wrote the book, subtitle, How to Stop Spending Time You Don't Have with People You Don't Like, Doing Things You Don't Want to Do, after leaving her 15-year job as a publisher in New York City. Now she's a freelance writer and editor based in Brooklyn and the Dominican Republic. She had worked with more than 100 books across an array of categories and many authors you probably know, including Gillian Flynn. But now she spends most of her time not giving a fuck, and she just wrote a new book called Get Your Shit Together. So today we're going to talk to Sarah about how to just give up all the fucks you've been trying to give and get your shit together while you're at it. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. That was an amazing intro. Thank you. Actually, that was a really freeing intro because I really haven't like sworn on this show and I feel like I really just dropped like the F-bomb left and right and that was amazing. Well, my books are nothing if not liberating. So that's you go. That's so true. So as we know, Marie Kondo's book has the KonMari method and your book has the not sorry method, which I love that to parallel. So let's talk a little bit about um what it meant to you to not give a fuck. Like we said, you left this incredible career behind. So talk about that start for you and the genesis of this of this book and method. Absolutely. So I had been, uh, you know, not not to toot my own horn, but had been very successful as a senior editor in the New York publishing world. And it was the the job that I set out to do. The minute I graduated from college and moved to New York City, that's what I wanted to do. And I had climbed that ladder like nobody's business and was really, you know, pretty close to where I figured my my top out would be. And everything should have been gravy from there on out. But despite the success and all of the sort of doors opening for me professionally, I really was just very unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I would say that probably started about two years before I actually left my job where I was just having a really hard time getting excited about work and getting excited about leaving my house to go to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly getting excited about getting on the New York City subway, which is the 10th circle of hell, if ever there was one. <laughs> and uh, and I finally made the decision to, to, you know, parachute out of corporate life because I realized that it was the lifestyle, the bureaucracy, a uh, little bit of the personnel. And just generally speaking, it wasn't the work that I didn't like. It was the industry and the fact of being in an industry and being beholden to supervisors and, you know, sort of a large group of people. Whereas on my own now as a freelancer, it's just me, I'm the boss, I do what I want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, And it's 
very liberating. But so I decided to quit my job and I spent a year saving up money in order to be able to do that with what I thought would be a decent cushion in my bank account so that I could walk out and not be immediately catapulted into, you know, more Mm -hmm. anxiety about what was coming next. So it was really a, a very sort of tortured decision to, to leave. And then it was a very strategic, thoughtful plan And in May of 2015, in late May, I walked into my boss's office and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. Here's my two weeks. And since then, life has just uh, really kind of exploded into a lot more opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so that, I think, is the magic of not giving a fuck. I stopped giving a fuck about my corporate career and started giving my fucks to being happy and, uh, and well-adjusted and <laughs> now living in a, on a tropical Island, which was something I didn't even know I wanted so badly until I had the opportunity to do it. That's me. And as part of your bio says, you no longer give a fuck about winter. That is correct. <laughs> so that is definitely what it, that's very specific to you, obviously not giving a fuck about your corporate career, but what do you think that means um, more generally and to readers of your book? Because some people you know, maybe they enjoy being in a certain industry or they're not they're ready to sort of take some of the steps illustrated in your book, but they're not totally ready to move to a tropical island. So talk to me about the difference between not giving a fuck and just like not caring and and being really removed and distant and and just kind of being a jerk and letting letting things fall through the cracks. (laughs) Right. It's a great question. Uh, At the beginning of the book, I talk about I sort of established the parameters of what it means to give a fuck and not Mm -hmm. give a fuck. And so we all understand that colloquial expression of not giving a fuck to mean I don't care about something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't give a fuck about Game of Thrones. I don't care about Game of Thrones. Um, I literally do not give my fucks in the form of time, energy or money to Game of Thrones. So I don't Mm -hmm. buy the books. I don't watch the show. I don't talk about the show on Monday mornings with people. So Not giving a fuck means not caring about something. And then in my book, literally giving your fucks in the form of time, energy. So these are physical. We have to start thinking of them a little bit more as physical things. Like exactly. Which one do you have? Yeah, right. You have to stick to your fuck budget. And a lot of people understand this in terms of money. It's clear to them that if their bank account is approaching zero or is negative, that that's bad and that feels bad and it limits their opportunities And, you know, it makes them sort of generally annoyed, which is my sort of barometer for the things that you shouldn't be doing anymore if they annoy you. Marie Kondo talks about holding on to things that bring you joy. And I talk about getting rid of things that annoy. Right. So (laughs) I love I love all the parallels because they also kind of rhyme. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's, you know, it's, it's part of it's part of the charm. So people tend to get this when it comes to money. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily very good at it, but they understand the concept. I say that you have to apply the same concept uh, of your, uh, you know, your fuck budget to your time and energy because you you don't have unlimited time and energy. There is a limit to the hours in the day and there's a limit to, you know, you being able to function uh, well as a, you know, as a person, as a parent, as an employee, as a boss. So you have to learn to budget your fucks effectively across um, the time, energy and money spectrum. And so for me, you know, I happened to no longer give a fuck about conference calls and Ugh. mandatory meetings Same. and dress codes and things that were really sapping my energy and my time, not necessarily my money. 
and so other people might be totally happy in a corporate environment or some other working environment that, you know, involves other people and meetings. But there could be other parts of their lives, whether they're relationships or parenting issues uh, or creative pursuits that they really have not been able to spend any time and energy on that they could use the method in my book called the not sorry method to sort of achieve a greater uh, reservoir of fucks to give to those things uh, by crossing out the fucks that are currently be giving. Being I, all I want to say is I desperately want a reservoir of fucks outside of my house, <laughs> like a pretty river that somehow leads into this just, just like beautiful reservoir of fucks yeah. that you can just give out or keep <laughs> just like a babbling <laughs> brook of fucks. I mean, that that picture to me, I'm just picturing like Bob Ross pack like <laughs> painting <laughs> like a beautiful reservoir of fucks. Oh, goodness. Um, So. I love the idea of thinking them as as more physical things. And we are recording this podcast early December, um, right at the peak of getting those, you know, those invitations to holiday parties, your secret Santa exchanges where you have to get a gift to certain people. And it feels like the, it's similar, like just the art of saying no and the art of being able to start like declining and deciding. I know that social media and society tells you that you should be like draped in tinsel for 25 days, but you don't have to be. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that this is something that has really resonated with people around the world uh, who've been reading the book and responding to me through email or social media. And they've said, you know, I've gained back so much time and energy and in many cases money by saying no to invitations. Mm -hmm. And my point, which I make very clearly and unequivocally in many places in the book, is that not every invitation that is issued in the world is one that you have to accept. It's crazy but true. There is no – there's a myth of a social contract. And – what I've done with this book is kind of given voice to what is already in your head and other people's head and told you it's okay. It's okay to say no. I'm not telling people things that they don't already want or that they they just can't, they haven't figured out yet how to implement it in their own lives. But I give pretty concrete examples of, you know, for for example, you mentioned earlier, you know, how do you not give a fuck without becoming a jerk? I think jerk was your word, but in the book, asshole is my word, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because people say to me, well, it sounds kind of selfish, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you do this without coming across as an asshole? And so my entire not sorry method for not giving a fuck boils down to honesty and politeness used in tandem, the right level of each. So for example, you're invited to a holiday party at your sister-in-law's house Mm -hmm. and you don't like her friends and you've been to that party every year for three years and it's always a giant pain. It's hard to get there. It takes too much time. You never seem to bring the right hostess gift, whatever the reason is. You don't say, no, I'm not coming because I don't like your friends or no, I'm not coming because you never appreciate my hostess gift. You just say a, a polite and honest, no thanks, can't make it which is true. You can't, you can't bear the idea of going to that party. (laughs) It's honest and polite. And if it's delivered in a timely fashion, you have nothing to apologize for. And that's why it's called the not sorry method. Because if you do it correctly, identifying the fucks you don't want to give and not giving them in an honest and polite way, then you can proceed with your life being not sorry. You don't have anything to apologize for. You've done nothing wrong. You just said no, and it's okay. 
And you know what? I've something I've learned and it makes me feel mature every time I do it is saying no and realizing to trust your gut. And like, you know, in your heart of hearts, who is important to you, who your core group is, who really needs you to be somewhere at a certain time. And it is so liberating to finally say like, you know what? The day before Thanksgiving, I don't have to go to the bar that everyone from my high school is going to because I don't want to. And right. I, I it's I'm not interested. I want to go to bed. I want to drink wine at home with my family. And like they don't need me. Like I'm six years out of high school. Like they're they don't need me anymore. My best friend's twenty fifth birthday, like I know in my gut I'm needed there. Like it's just starting to realize your own value and who matters the most to you that I think is also aside from not giving a fuck and freeing yourself, I actually think it's not selfish because I think it's good to say I'm going to devote my time and energy to people who really matter, which is better for them rather than spreading out my time and energy around people that don't matter that I'm just doing to be like well liked and and, you know, prom queen. Yeah, I mean, you have really hit the nail on the head. And it's something that I talk about a lot um, on podcasts like this and on the radio is I say, you know, I don't. I don't think selfish is a four letter word mm-hmm. in our society that that epithet is, you know, hurled at people sort of without, I think, good cause. And frankly, if you're looking out for number one and you're managing your fuck budget and you have, as you said, the time, energy and money to devote to the people that really matter to you and the things that really make you happy, then you're going to be a you know, friendlier boss, you're going to be a more understanding spouse, you're Mm -hmm. going to be a more patient parent. And so it really actually is doing a favor for the people in your life, the ones that you really want to know how important they are to you to not spread yourself thin on the things that aren't. Exactly. And I want to hear a little bit more about your personal process with this book, because Speaking of fucks as a physical thing, you gave a lot of yours to write a book, obviously. You gave a lot of time and energy, meaning you really did give a fuck about writing a book. So how did you go from being a publisher and in the publishing world to kind of a a little bit of a guru? And, um, you know, you have all this advice and it's so well structured. How did how did you get there? Well, when I left my job, uh, a job which I really had loved, a career that I had loved and, you know, working with writers and collaborating with them is something that I still do now just on my own. Uh, but it meant that I had a lot more time for pleasure reading because when I was working as a book editor, I was editing the same manuscript three, four, five, six times. So mm-hmm. it wasn't really giving me a lot of time and energy to be able to read whatever happened to be in the zeitgeist at the time. And so one of the first books that I picked up was Marie Kondo's book. And I actually didn't think I really needed it because I'm a very tidy, organized person, but I was curious about this book that was on everybody's, you know, radar and I finally had time to check it out. So when I did that, it occurred to me that what she was doing for physical stuff, I had just done for mental stuff. Um, I had really decluttered my mind by abandoning a lot of the fucks that I had been giving to things that had brought me no end of annoy and been able to focus on the things uh, that were that were important and the things I hadn't been able to do for years. And I just, I sort of had this epiphany and then I started working on the book proposal because I suddenly had time and creative energy to devote to my own stuff instead mm-hmm. of always, you know, instead of sort of draining my fuck budget down on uh, on all of my author's work. So it really came about very serendipitously and very quickly. And as it turned out, there were a lot of 
people in town in the publishing world who were very interested in the idea of publishing this book. So it was um, it was both surprising because I had been on the other side of the desk for so long, for 15 years, that, you know, they're just not every book is one that everybody gets super excited about. So it was a little bit surprising to be suddenly in demand. But it also made me think, as you mentioned earlier, you know, trust your gut. Like you Mm -hmm. have something to say here. And I've always been the person who says things that other people are thinking and are afraid to say. Sometimes I did that in business meetings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes I do it at the family dinner table or on vacation with my in-laws. But basically what I did was put that sort of personal characteristic forward as what I have, I have been dubbed an Mm anti-guru. So you can take that for, for what it's worth. But I think all of this advice that I'm giving is a lot of it is common sense, but a lot of it is coming from a place of, oh, I'm too nervous to say that, or I'm too nervous to think that, or I shouldn't be thinking that. And I'm saying, no, it's totally fine to think that. Right. You should totally, you should totally act on that. And sometimes I wonder if the new quote, self-help book isn't so much brand new information as much as it's permission and an affirmation to do what you've wanted to do or to believe what you've wanted to believe about yourself or just tap into that instinct. Um, I feel like a lot of the type of self-help books and articles I've read, it hasn't, they haven't shocked me. And I've been like, wait, what? I don't have to give a fuck about Game of Thrones as much (laughs) as like the commiseration aspect and the the incredible sense of humor you bring to the book um, that uh, just kind of lets you, that just kind of, it's kind of like your backup. Like you're like, well, now I have, I have someone on my team. Right. And, you know, I do think that the humor aspect of it is what originally brought readers to the table. They thought, oh, that title is really funny. You know, I'll give this a whirl. It's sort of a novelty purchase. And then as the book, it's now been on sale for almost a full year. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of grown and grown and grown, both in the US and in Canada and the UK and Germany and France and 15 different countries, um, where people are, are like, oh, that's actually really good, solid advice mixed in with 732 instances of the F word. <laughs> well, it's actually, I will say, we had a couple of uh, copies of it floating around real simple. And mm-hmm. you would not believe how many people either put it on my desk because they were like, this is so you, or <laughs> sent it to me via email. Or, you know, like this book has been given to me in one form or another. <laughs> for the last 365 days of people being like, this is this is you. The I'm universe like, is trying to tell you something. I think it was trying to get you here. And luckily we did. <laughs> um, and it has been out for a year. So now in that time, you've written a whole new book, which is the Get Your Shit Together book. Um, where did that where did that come from? And and how does it piggyback on not giving a fuck? Well, I talked a little bit earlier about mental decluttering. Mm-hmm. And so uh, physical decluttering takes two steps. It's discarding and organizing, you know, getting rid of the shit that you don't need and then sort of organizing and tidying up what you have left. So I would say that the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck is primarily about discarding Mm -hmm. and, you know, the things that we've already talked about. And then get your shit together is really about organizing what you have left. So taking that time, energy, and money, that budget that you now have to work with and deploying it efficiently and enthusiastically on the things that are going to make you happy. So if the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck was about all of this unburdening that I did 
you know, a little part of it is my story and then the rest of it is, is prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Get your shit together is a, is a much more kind of granular look at how I did it and how you can too. And it, takes it runs the gamut from small change to big change there's actually three sections called small shit uh tough shit and deep shit and so it's really about if the shit that you need to get together is literally learning how to prioritize and being better at time management you know not being late raining in your email inbox these little sort of daily things there's a way to do it and then if it's about moving to a foreign country and quitting your job and, you know, making huge life changes, there's another way to do it. And the secret is it's the same way. And I will say that I need to get my shit together is a sentence probably every 20, 30 something has said multiple times a day, multiple times over the week, month and year. Um, I say it all the time. Um, it's either I need to get my shit together. When am I going to get my shit together? Why don't I have my shit together? So there's a lot of different variations. And I was scrolling through your Twitter feed and I loved this little quote that you posted from the book, which is getting your shit together for the big stuff is just getting your shit together for the small stuff over time. And I think one thing that plagues many of us is just the pressure that you need the plan, you need the idea, you need the apartment, you need the dream job, you need to know where your relationship is going and you feel like you have to get all of these big things together in a week as opposed right. to just getting small things together like what you said, like inbox right. zero or close to like, you know, calling, you know, for an interview and thinking, OK, that was that counts as networking for the month or whatever it might be. Exactly. So I, I really am a huge advocate for looking at the small picture. I think that a lot of other self-help gurus or, you know, people who are sort of really gung-ho about making big change in your life have this focus on huge, grand, sweeping change. You're going to become a new person. You're going to lose 150 pounds. You know, you're going to magically become the top earner at your company. And I just don't see it that way. Um, I see it as very much a collection of small, manageable steps and so my whole strategy for get your shit together is to strategize, focus and commit. So I didn't, you know, transport myself from Brooklyn to the Dominican Republic in one giant push. I did it over the course of a couple of years. And sometimes the things on the to do list were as small as, you know, research loans. And it was like, OK, that's going to take an evening of, you know, seeing what institution out there would like to offer me some money to, uh, you know, to right. find a house in the Dominican Republic. And sometimes it was work on my Spanish. And, you know, then at some point it was pack the Brooklyn apartment. And at some point it was, you know, buy a plane ticket for the cat. Um, unfortunately, the cat, the cat died before we managed to get here, but I did buy mm -hmm. the plane ticket. And then on my list was get refund for plane <laughs> ticket for the cat. So, you know, it's really just a lot of small manageable steps. And the thing that I hear so much from people. And I did a big uh, anonymous survey when I was writing, get your shit together asking, you know, what is, what is the thing that stops you? Why is the, what is the reason that you don't have your shit together? And people said, I just don't know where to begin. I have too that's, much. On that's a hundred percent what it is. It's, it's too overwhelming and there are too many things to Google and start and do. And it's, how do you even know what to, what to start with? That it's and it's so, such a paralyzing feeling. I have a book 
That is overdue. I'm so sorry, dear New York Public Library. I <laughs> still have the flamethrowers sitting on my desk. And I, it's unbelievable to me how even the littlest thing, like returning the library book, I'm like, I just can't, I can't get there. I'm sorry, mom. It, I probably owe $40 to the library. <laughs> well, I do, I do cover avoidance in the deep shit section of the book, right. avoidance and anxiety and fear of failure. And a lot of the stuff that's really, I call it mental dust because it's just sort of always hanging out up there. And if you don't kind of eradicate it, you know, regularly, it's going to start coding everything else and your ability to get anything else done or thought about or planned. But uh, when it comes down to things like return a library book, I have, I call it the must do method. And so I take my to do list and I turn it into a must do list. And I look at everything that's on my list and I say, what takes priority in terms of time? Not what's most important, because a lot of people can't really figure out what's most important. They're like, everything is important. It's all equally important. I have to do it all. So I just literally look at it in terms of time. You know, if I'm shopping for a birthday gift for my dad and his birthday is in three days, then that is a three-day deadline for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I have a presentation that's due in 12 days, I have 12 days for that. And then I just reorder everything and I put it on the list and I say, what must get done today? And that's my must-do list. And it takes a list of, you know, could be 10, 15, 20 things, and it really narrows it down to three or four. And things are much more manageable. Your day seems, you know, open wide. You're like, okay, I can do that. That's manageable. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, to to break things down into small manageable chunks, like also to look at what you have to do when it has to be done and focus only on the things that must get done today. And that really, I think, helps free me from that paralysis of there's too much. I don't know where to start. It's like, start with a thing that's due now. Or, or that's overdue now. That's yeah. I, okay. My, the, everyone's job who's listening is to tweet me at Sam Zabel whenever you hear this episode and ask me if I've returned the library book yet. <laughs> and th- I'm now going to crowdsource support that way because well, I actually it's talk been about a while. In the book. And that is. Um, Did I do it? Is some, <laughs> there is something called the emotional spanking, uh, <laughs> which sounds like the, the method that you are planning to employ for motivation. And, you know, it does work for people. So I just guilt me into returning the book. I mean, I feel so bad. And now I'm like, the library is never going to let me check anything out ever again. <laughs> and I didn't even finish the book because I didn't like the book. It's a whole emotional so journey I've spiral. taken. It really is just a spiral. And you just need to return the book. The other thing I'm so curious to hear from you is how did you turn off the internet during all of this? And and by that, I mean not physically, but how did you not stop giving a fuck about everything that people care about on the internet and on the shows? And I only ask because I think there's some irony in the fact that your book is sort of a parody of the KonMari method, which seemed like the trend and seemed like everyone was like, you need to be getting sparked by joy everywhere you go all the time. And so how do you sift through the social media screams and the internet and the trends and the magazine and the podcast you should be listening to? And now it's not just TV shows. Now it's streaming shows and shows just on the internet and YouTube series. (laughs) Like, how do you how do you narrow that down? Well, that's another kind of blend of sort of the not giving a fuck philosophy and the get your shit together practice, which is I decide what's important to me 
And then I strategize, focus, and commit to getting it done. And so if focusing and committing to something means not, you know, wasting four hours of my week on a TV show that I don't really care about, then that's part and parcel of getting my shit together. So for example, when I was writing both books actually were written on a really tight time frame. So number one on my must do list almost every day was write 500 words. There was really very little that was more urgent or more important or that I gave more of a fuck about than getting my book written and getting it done on time and, you know, and sort of not fucking up everybody else's lives uh, at my publisher by not getting it done on time. So that really just became, it was like, okay, I have 500 words to write. You know, maybe I have to shop for a gift for my friend. Maybe I need to touch up my hair color and I really want to watch the baseball game. But if I don't get my 500 words written, I'm not watching the baseball game and I'm certainly not going to the hairdresser. So for me, it's all about Again, identifying what you really give a fuck about and also not listening. You used the, the S word, which is should. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the book, the new book, Get Your Shit Together, the beginning of that subtitle is how to stop worrying about what you should do, which I, by which I mean, you know, what society or culture or your family or, you know, your colleagues kind of impress upon you as as a should do item, which is not something you really need to do or something that you necessarily want to do. So I really try to steer clear of should. And I think I've just been successful at that as a person. And so I was able to write some books about it and explain to people how I do it, which is really just being honest and polite and not giving a fuck. And I will, as someone who has should have seen a lot of movies and TV shows and pretty much hasn't seen anything and has just mm-hmm. watched The Parent Trap and Gilmore Girls for like 24 mm-hmm. years and nothing else, I can tell you that your life really doesn't change if you don't watch Stranger Things or if you haven't seen all the Oscar movies. Like, it might be cool if you've seen them, but I have been able to get through every day 100% fine I, you know, still pay my rent, never seen Stranger Things, I've never seen Home Alone, I have friends, I've never seen E.T., I've never seen Seinfeld, and I'm like, everyone's like, I'm never listening to this podcast again, she doesn't watch any of the good stuff, (laughs) but I'm fine. I did not watch Stranger Things, and I've never seen any of the Star Wars movies. I, okay, I think I have seen Star Wars but like I couldn't, I couldn't talk to anyone about it. That's the other thing is like I ended up, I did see that big thing and and I totally respect if it's something you loved and that's great. Mm-hmm. And you'll find other people who love it who can talk about it. Anyone wants to call me about Gilmore Girls, call me. I can talk yep. to you about it. Friends, <laughs> we can quote it together. The Parent Trap, sure. Lindsay Lohan version. I'm on it. But I'm 100% fine not having seen the things everyone loves. You right. get to love your own things. That was my favorite part. And it helps you prioritize your life. So, you know, there was a lot of my day when I worked in an office that was taken up by just meaningless chatter. And I love to chit chat about things that I'm interested in and things that I find funny and, you know, long, well, these days, not so much long political conversations yeah. <laughs> because I'm still got my head in the sand on that one. But, um, you know, I'm not saying that I don't love engaging in, you know, in conversation, but when you are surrounded by a group of people who you are, you are put together with by design, not necessarily by choice, um, regardless of whether you like some of them or even most of them, 
you can waste an awful lot of productive time just having a conversation about stranger things or, <laughs> or standing in the pantry, you know, trying to get your coffee in the morning and then people start talking about something and you're like, Oh, I should, I should stay here and engage in the conversation because I want to be a good colleague. And it would be weird if I just turned around and walked away. But the last year of my corporate life, I just turned around and walked away and I did not get in trouble for it. I, I didn't notice there was no noticeable, you know, ill effect because I stopped engaging in office gossip and stopped agreeing to conference calls. And, you know, I just, I just did my own thing and it was fine. And it's liberating a word I've used so many times in this (laughs) conversation. Um, Let's tell people where they can find you on the internet and all of your books are available right now. Uh, Your, how, your get your shit together book is available for pre-order and Correct. the magical life-changing magic of not giving a fuck is available now to buy. And you have a holiday kind of edition of that, correct? Like I a little do. Kindle I book. I have a little bonus, uh, bonus ebook. Uh, it's all new. It's it's a slight sort of you know mental decluttering one hundred and one, not sorry method primer, just for anybody who either hasn't read the first book or kind of needs a little bit of a refresher. And then it's another 2,500 brand new words, very specific to how to not give a fuck at Christmas. And it is 99 cents and it's, it's an ebook. So it's on Kindle and Nook and uh, the iBook store. Um, And I'm getting really good feedback on that. And I'm glad because, you know, I wrote it back in May or June and it was really weird to be writing about Christmas in the middle of the summer. But um my other books, like you said, are available now and available for pre-order. Get Your Shit Together comes out on December 27th in the U.S. and Canada and December 29th in the U.K. and Australia and New Zealand. And you can find me on Medium, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the same handle. It's MC Snugs. That's M-C-S-N-U-G-Z. And I am a rather prolific tweeter and a bit of an Instagramable. So I welcome <laughs> interaction on those platforms. I love both of those. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for being here today and helping me not give a fuck and get my shit together. I greatly appreciate it. And <laughs> I can't wait to see what you help us do next. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And uh, I'm actually just going to be hounding you to return that library book. Oh, and then, you know, maybe we can have a follow up conversation. And January. you know what? It's always in the back of my head. I'm like every every little I, I do wonder what I would have time to remember if I didn't have that little voice in my head being like, you horrible person <laughs> ruining that. The, although the book, I really didn't like the book and I'm not going to say the name of it, but maybe I'm making everyone's lives better. Because I can't well, read it. In which case, actually, I think you did already say the name of it. But I oh, I did. It. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great in book. Case, don't keep it around. I know. You mocking you, <sighs> making you angry and resentful. All Get right, I will try to return it by the time this episode comes out. Deal. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Adulthood Made Easy. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover in the future, just tweet them to me at Sam Zabel and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our producer, Jordan Bell. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe and review in iTunes. I'm Sam Zabel and I'll see you next time. 